Bill is a failed skydiver and a bear sometimes he runs. Ben's always traveling, an occasional beach bum. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol, BHP Town Hall. Ben created Eye on Off, he's a comic book fanatic. Phil made Pyro CMS, he's probably in a kayak. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP. Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol, BHP, Town Hall. So hello everybody, welcome to episode 29 of PHP Town Hall. Um, there's a few of us in here today, We're joined by uh, Ben Edmonds of course, and myself, Phil Sturgeon. Um, we've got Paul Jones and uh, Daniel Lowry. Did get that right? There's one name yeah. per episode that I fuck up on, so that's uh, <laughs> it's fun. So, um, how are you guys? What have you been, what have you been up to today? Reading internals. <laughs> I've spent a large amount of the last week reading internals. There's, it's a real time sink. <laughs> Sounds like a horrible time. Oh no, it's it's like it's a good exercise in patience. It's, if you're it's times like this, then I'm glad I have unsubscribed from that stuff. <laughs> I, I actually can't unsubscribe. I can because I had such a hard time getting subscribed in the first place. It wouldn't. It wouldn't take my email address. That I got like hard coded in. Someone on the team just like just rammed my email in the code or something. So now I've unsubscribed five times and I still get every single email as it comes. I can't even switch to digest. <laughs> so <laughs> think on your sin. I understand. I had just as much trouble getting subscribed. It was it's kinda of the user interface is difficult. I still I, I can get the digest but I can't get the full subscription. I, I saw yeah, every, every now and then someone says, Hey, we should get a forum, we should use PHPPB, we should use digest, we should use any the fuck thing that's not this random thing, but um, I guess we're we're stuck with that for a while. It's probably for the best. If it was easy to comment on there as it was to comment on GitHub, then there would be even more assholes and internals and it would be a much worse situation. Um there's an asshole right now. Moving on. Um, the first thing that I want to talk about today, I guess, uh, Paul, there's a lot of people that were asking us over the last few episodes about... Um, we do a, an intro? Should we do that? We did an intro, didn't we? Uh, maybe you did it before I came out. Oh, I don't know what's happening. I was just very quickly staring away from me, insulting internals once more. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so yeah, we probably should do a little intro. Um, Paul, do you want to just give us a little, a little quick run through of who you are and what you do and why? Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Paul Jones. Um, I uh, I bill myself as an internationally recognized PHP expert. All I mean by that is when I travel internationally, I'm recognized by people who know PHP. Uh, I've been everything from a junior developer to a VP of engineering and all sorts of different organizations. Uh, in a previous career, I got paid to be a spy. Uh, I worked in the Air Force doing what's called operations intelligence for eight years. Uh, but since then, starting about 99, uh, I've been doing PHP full time. Uh, I wrote a book called Modernizing Legacy Applications in PHP that helps you uh, with step-by-step -step, uh, instructions get your page-based, include-oriented, spaghetti mess of a PHP application uh, up to modern standards so that by the end of the process you have a code base that is auto-loaded, dependency-injected, unit-tested, layer-separated, and front-controlled. Um, I'm uh, the lead on the Aura project. Uh, I've done a series of benchmarking uh, or a series of benchmarks 
about uh, uh, that, that relate to framework uh, hmm. framework overhead so that you know what the maximum responsiveness of any particular framework is when it's operating in a dynamic mode. Uh, I wrote uh, some of the questions for the Zen certification exam, the five, I think it was the 5.3 version, I don't remember now. Um, ton of other, I'm a voting member on the PHP Framework Interoperability Group, uh, much to Phil's chagrin, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Ton, you know, tons of other stuff. Uh, and the thing that I always like to end with is that uh, uh, I enjoy putting uh, 7.62 millimeter holes in pieces of paper at 400 meters. So nice. that's my background. <laughs> that is that is the best part of that. And of course, for everyone that's a um, that's a regular listener, um, Paul has been on the show once before, not not twice. It was just what, the one time before, I believe. Well, once that was published and once that got corrupted. Which oh, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Pending, yeah. Yeah, that was back when we used Tiny Chat. Um, Tiny Chat was great fun when it was just a bunch of us drunkenly, randomly chatting away, but it wasn't very good when we wanted to try and rip audio quality out of there. So, yeah, there were like 10 of us, uh, you know, 10 top awesome people on the uh, on the podcast. And I had to tell everyone, yeah, that didn't work out. We had like Anthony, uh, Ferreira, and Taylor, and yourself, and a bunch of people. And I was like, yeah, that was, we just wasted all of our times. <laughs> so now, now we use Google+, Plus, which is obviously perfect and without any sort of fault. And the, um, the nice thing is that uh, the NSA keeps a backup for us. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, Daniel, your turn. What, who are you and what do you do? Well, um, I studied economics in school and worked as a stockbroker when I got out of school and uh, decided it was soul-crushing. I really wasn't into it. And so I left so I could program all day, and that was about 10 years ago. I started off uh, writing writing financial things in Python and uh, wanted to do web stuff. So I started doing PHP because I didn't really know anything about it at the time. And uh, been doing it ever since then. Uh, a couple of years ago, started getting into C and started contributing to internals. 5.6 is the first thing I've really, uh, really submitted anything useful for. And uh, it's any of the encryption, TLS, SSL stuff that you do, the 5.6 version, I probably had my hands on, so hopefully some of the NSA stuff uh, is mitigated. It'll be easier to avoid some of those things. And uh, I also like putting holes in things, but I'm not nearly as accurate as some uh, from 40 yards. So I have my concealed carry permit. Oh, I know, nice. brother. <laughs> Guns. And right now, Phil is just... just biting his tongue <laughs> no i love guns i went i've been shooting a bunch of times they're great fun um i don't think they let british people get them quite as le easily as americans though i mean i'm barely allowed i'm barely allowed to have a fucking 200 dollar um uh credit card right now i've, I've <laughs> finally got one after being here for a year they've let me have a credit card that has 200 dollars on it and i had to give them 50 bucks for that for that pleasure so if i start trying to get a, a fucking handgun then i think they're gonna be a little bit less likely to go ahead <laughs> Um, the last time yeah. we saw British with guns in this country, it didn't go so well. So I, th I think it went pretty well for you, to be honest. <laughs> it, went, well, yeah, it didn't go so well for the British, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I felt sorry for my girlfriend. She was over in England during um, July 4th, and um, yeah, some, there was another American that was saying, so do the, do the British support, um, do, they, do they celebrate Independence Day like we do? And uh, I was like... <laughs> Obviously, I could just call this guy an asshole, but that would be far too easy. Um, so I just explained that, you know, every year we get together and have a massive celebration to um, to really, really rejoice in the day that we finally got rid of you whining little bastards. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's sending us letters all the time, complaining about stuff, not paying your taxes, ditching our tea. Uh, mm-hmm. We finally just went, you know what? We're done with you guys. You can have it. Uh, and then we just celebrate getting you off our shoulders. And he was like, whoa, really? And, no. No. <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyway so ben if we are we intro now is that that's acceptable yes cool <laughs> next um so yeah one of the first things we we actually had you on by request paul um to talk about your action domain uh responder yes action domain responder right. is, a, is a slight alternative or replacement to MVC. Would you like to give a little rundown on that? Sure. So Nate, Nate Obley is the one who says it probably ought to be a, a replacement for Model View Controller. Uh, I, I, I'm sympathetic to that. I'm not really willing to go with it being a full replacement right now. Uh, the, the long version of it is this. When I was writing the book on modernizing legacy applications, uh, of course, the idea is to tease apart the different concerns in these these horrible spaghetti messes of code. You start with some foundational stuff, but eventually you get to the point where you need to separate out the model work. So you you pull out a bunch of SQL into gateways, and you pull out the actual model work into uh, transaction scripts or a service layer. Then because it's model view controller, that's the way we think about separating all of our stuff. After the model, of course, you do the views. You've got this page script with a bunch of uh, uh, object setup work and a bunch of what eventually is going to be controller work, but it's all mixed in with a bunch of presentation work as well. So the first time I wrote the chapter, I wrote it using templates because everyone, when we think about a view in PHP, we think about a template system generally, whether it's Twig or something that's descended from Savant, whether it's Zen Framework, uh, the Zen View or, or a view or something like that where you have essentially the generation of the HTML or the generation of whatever the presentation is going to be sitting off in a different file or in a template file, something like that, and then you invoke the template file from your controller and inject that into the response somehow. So the first few, time, the first few times I worked through that in, in writing that chapter in the book, uh, templates worked out fine, but then I started getting started realizing that there are times when uh, the controller ends up setting headers. And again, these are page scripts, so we don't think about them as a controller per se, but the problem is still the same. Uh, if you've got a template that renders, say, XML or renders JSON, or it needs to set a status header of some sort, uh, or it needs to send a content type header of some sort, what we typically do is in the controller, we hand off to the template. The template builds the body of the HTTP response. Then it comes back to the controller, and the controller sets the, the necessary headers. Again, whether that's a status code, maybe setting a cookie, something like that. And I realized that because I knew where the book was going, I knew we were going to end up in a, sta- a standardized way of invoking our, invoking our controllers, that the response always had to come back in, exact, in exactly the same way that there was really no reasonable place to put the header setting work. Uh, and in that, because it clearly doesn't go in the model, well, and the templates don't really handle header setting. They don't handle cookies or anything like that. They just handle you know, essentially the body portion of the HTTP response. So I realized in doing that and thinking about it that model view controller, when you're talking about model view controller, the view is actually a little bit more than just the template system. The view that is presented to the client when it makes a request from the server is the HTTP response. That means it's not just the body of the response, it's also the headers that go along with that response. 
So that was sort of the first step leading me towards the idea of action domain responder. And in the book, I, can, I just say, you know, you, your, your controllers need to inject stuff directly into the response. In the book, the idea is there's a response object that also handles templates and it buffers header and set cookie calls and set, set raw cookie calls, that kind of thing, so that you can test the response that's coming out of the controller. But afterwards, I realized that the... The model view controller pattern actually originate, it realizes maybe not the right word. I went back and did the research, and there are lots of good presentations from PHP guys, uh, like the guys from Quafu. I think it's Stefan Priebsch who does one uh, about the origins of model view controller. That MVC actually originates from a very long time ago. A guy named Trig Virinskog, and I'm sure I am just butchering the guy's name, uh, came up with the model view controller pattern for Smalltalk 80. Uh, for, to work in desktop applications. And in that original description of the pattern, the, uh, each element on the screen, and again, it's a desktop application pattern, each element on the screen has its own trio of model view controller working together to present that as a user interface pattern on the screen. So if you've got a username input field, it's got its own model view and controller on the back end in the desktop op, in the desktop app. If you additionally have a button, the button has a model view and controller associated with it. So the reason we, and in addition to that, the model and the view, once they've been tied together by the controller, the model and the view are allowed to talk to each other. So the view updates the model, and the model sends data back to the view without necessarily going back through the controller. So that's the formal description of model view control. And a lot of people who have been doing MVC on the web realized this a long time before I did, and have complained about MVC being only an imperfect fit on the web. And having and even with that in mind, even it being an imperfect fit, it's been the best thing that we've had because we still need to separate these concerns. But the thing that led me to Action Domain Responder looking at that was that, first of all, we think in terms of web, web side or server side web interactions, that having the view and the model talk to each other is probably bad form. We don't want our models, we don't want our views talking directly to our models and issuing SQL calls. So that sort of breaks part of the, the, the formal model view controller process. And in addition to that, because we think of the views in model view controllers being part of, as being the template only, and then putting things like header setting in the controllers, uh, that sort of breaks that separation of the presentation layer. If the thing that is presented to the client is the response, then there ought to be a completely separate layer that deals with building the response. So again, after going through the modernizing legacy stuff and doing that research and figuring out what the actual presentation layer ought to be, it seemed to me that we th need to think of the view not as the template, but as what I call a responder. That is the thing that builds the response so that the controller hands off, once it gets its data from the model, hands that off not to a template, but hands it off to what, you know, calling, what again, what I'm calling a responder. And it sets the headers, and it sets the cookies, and it gets the template to set the, the body and the response. Uh, so that's really the core of the, the revelation for me was that. It turns out people are doing that kind of thing anyway. Uh, yeah, they just haven't really much, talked about it before. It's, it's pretty much um, – I, I very much agree, and I think most people do, that MVC uh, – there's kind of two problems with it. The first problem that we've known for a long time is that it, what we were calling MVC in the PHP in general, like Ruby and uh, world – wasn't really MVC. It's kind of the old-fashioned small talk thing, and we went, nah, that sounds about right. We'll do that. And exactly. I think you're very much right that um, um, the other problem is that it, it, 
it's kind of evolved badly. Um, I'm looking through a lot of your blog posts about it, especially one about content negotiation. Um, the, the larger problem seems to be that these days, as PHP developers are spending more and more time making APIs and less and less time doing basic fucking CRUD apps and validating and re responding, the MVC fits less and less and less because it used to very much be you've got your controller, you collect your, your post arguments, you shove, send off a big array that goes into your model and then you just dump out some crap in a HTML form. But as soon as you have to start thinking about content negotiation, I am going to output this XML and JSON and HTML and all of that shit, you've suddenly got this like, You've either got a really, really heavy controller that's doing 25 different things, or you've got uh, some other layer of stuff. So it doesn't, it doesn't work there at all because you've either ruined the controller, or you've, um, or you've basically, you know, it's, it, you're adding more layers on top. So for me, I've not been doing MVC. I've been doing like I have MVC, and they have domain objects, and and then there's also transformers that make my JSON look pretty, and then there's like these other 25 different layers. So I think we are at a point where we need to kind of expand beyond the classical definition of MVC because we're not even actually using the classical definition properly. Again, I agree. I, th I think that we're... We, so one of the things that we say about patterns is that they are a vocabulary to describe things we're already doing. They're not proscriptive, they're descriptive. Um, or not, they're prescriptive, they're descriptive. So the, the fact that people are already doing this kind of thing uh, leads me to believe that the pattern's already validated, that it's already being that's already being used, and we just haven't had a phrase to describe it yet. Mm -hmm. um, and then you talk about the controllers doing multiple, you know, lots of different things. Uh, the the natural follow-on from having a responder handle all your response building stuff for you and getting all that out of the controller means that if you've got a controller, let's just say it's a simple controller, your basic thing with your your browse, read, edit, update delete, you know, or index, create, read up to delete, you know, say it's a blog, a blog controller, something like that. It turns out that if you've got those five different methods, those five different methods are not necessarily going to be using or sending the same kinds of headers and cookies, whatever. For example, your read action in a controller might only send a 200 or a 404. That is, I found it or I didn't find it. But your update action might send back a whole series of different things. It might send back a 302 or a 303 if the creation or if the update occurred properly and then it's doing a post after get. It might send back a 422 if the data that you submitted was uh, properly formed, but it actually turns out to be invalid in terms of the, the application domain. The delete is going to send back a different set of stuff. So it turns out that if you've got a controller with five different methods or five different actions in it, you need a different responder for each one. This is actually a very natural thing. We've already got a different template for each of those methods, probably. So having a different responder class for each one also makes sense. The problem with that is that if you've got that control of five methods and you're only invoking one of those methods, you still need to inject all five responders because that's what the class has to be able to handle. So then it turns out that it, it, it feels very natural after that to make the actions, and if you'll pardon the pun, a first class player in the pattern. That is, if you instead of having a class with five action methods in it, you have five different action classes, each of which receives the request, the particular domain element that it's interacting with, and the responder that it's going to use to send back the response. Um, that's that's the core of the pattern right there. So you've got individual action classes that receive, that take input from the request. They marshal it, send it off to the domain layer. The domain layer responds with some data. The action hands that data off to the responder. The responder builds a response, and you're done. Um, that's, that's really all there is to it. We're already doing this in a lot of ways. 
if you've got a model view controller application, I guarantee that you can look at it, right? If it's well structured, you know, we're not talking about if you've got a controller that's got a bunch of, you know, model stuff going in, going on in it. And it's already moderately well structured. You can see very easily how you're going to break it apart and, and have it conform to action domain responder. And that has the benefit of making things work the way you think they ought to, or rather the way they ought to. What you think is going on, you can make what you're doing actually what's going on, uh, if that makes sense. Hey, Paul, we had a question come in on the Q&A. Yeah. Why would a responder, or why is a responder different than what we used to call a servlet? And is there a substantial difference except splitting the operation into two steps? So my Java uh, experience is relatively limited. I can't answer that very cleanly. Uh, my guess is that uh, servlets. I, actually, I, I don't know enough serv enough about servlets to really say whether that's true, whether that's a, a good comparison or not. Uh, I'm sorry to disappoint there. Uh, I will expand on that just a little bit and say that if servlets uh, combine the actions uh, or combine the behaviors of interacting with the domain and then building a response themselves, that doesn't really apply to responder per se. The responder is only uh, concerned with building the response. It doesn't interact with the domain. It doesn't receive input from the request. It only takes the information that has been fed to it by the action and then using that using the information that's fed to it by the action determines what kind of status it needs to set, what headers it needs to set, and, and how it needs to present the how it needs to present the data that's been given to it. Does that does that kind of make sense? I'm not trying to avoid the question. I just can't necessarily answer it in terms of a servlet. I mean, none of us know any better, so we'll just nod and smile and agree and what assume. All right. <laughs> um, in the interest of, of marching on to the next bit, and also because I'm aware that uh, Daniel's just been staring at us blathering for a while, um, I'm going to march on to another question. Um, and Daniel, you mentioned in your introduction that you've been doing a lot of work with um, with kind of SSL, TSL, uh, sorry, TLS uh, stuff in PHP 5.6. Could you tell us a bit about what's going on there and why it was done? And when we start talking about the architectural stuff, it just my eyes glaze over and roll back in my head, and I start looking at the uh, the internet because basically I I'm probably you know one of I don't know maybe 20 people who never, ever, ever use PHP in the web SAPI environment. Don't ever do it. I like I live in the CLI. That's the only thing I use it for, ever, which is, I know it's weird. Uh, and so one of the things that I do in that area is work on, I've been workershipping. And sadly, in previous versions of PHP, the encryption functionality was lacking at least for the TLS layer for enabling it on streams, which is what you need when you're, sending HTTP data over streams back and forth. And so uh, most people will be familiar with how PHP does things like file get content. So you can just put in an HTTP address and get back a page, and it just magically happens. All you did was give it a string. And that's great, but for every version of PHP prior to 5.6, uh, it, it was only partially uh, okay because there are a couple different aspects of an encrypted connection. The first is naturally encrypting that information so that someone who has access to it can't tell what's actually there. But the second part is making sure that the person you're communicating with actually is who they say they are. It doesn't do you any good to send someone encrypted information if the, per if the party on the other end isn't able to just decrypt it and read it and they're not who they're supposed to be or it's not who you want to send it to. And so for anything before 5.6, anytime you use, say, file get contents, um, there are a few other functions that also use the SSL stream wrappers. 
uh, it didn't actually verify who was on the other end. And so it was, if I could get between you and the other party, maybe if I had access to your Wi-Fi network, uh, I could go to a PHP conference and just own everyone there who was using Composer without curl, uh, anything like that. And, and there were a lot of complaints about it, but it was kind of difficult to implement in a way that didn't break functionality and break the spirit of PHP where it was just easy to do things. And so what we've done for 5.6 is, one, try to make that work as seamlessly as possible. You shouldn't need to know anything about how encryption works. It should just be as safe as it can possibly be. Uh, we've, we've improved the ciphers. We've added much better support for newer versions of the SSL protocols so that, uh, in theory, I mean, if, if uh, state actors have a quantum computer, in a desert or warehouse somewhere, there's not a whole lot we can do. But as far as we know, uh, you don't have to do anything to have the best possible access to protection in your data when you're sending it using TLS now as a 5.6. So, so in theory, uh, you don't have to do anything, which is the best part about it. So it will just work. So anyway, you guys have questions about how that works or? or I was just generally asking you to talk about it a little. It wasn't a particularly well-formed question. Um, if I remember anything from the from the changes, as well as kind of adding in this this new extra support, it kind of defaults on, right? It's, you've done a very good yeah, job of, yeah. of working out how to default enable certain options without them becoming invasive and breaking your applications, but also providing the most logical support for everyone. So can you explain how you did that? Oh, well, well it's, it's relatively simple. When you make a connection to another party, uh, the only way, the way that it's verified is through a third party, and that's what's called a certificate authority. And when you buy your SSL certificate, oh, by the way, just in case anybody's uh, confused, the original encryption protocols were SSL, that was the first, or version two and three, which are older. It's now referred to as TLS, which stands for Transport Layer Security. So the two terms are basically interchangeable when someone uses them. PHP's the when you set it up, you still use SSL for the stream wrappers and everything, so you don't have to. There, there's not really a difference for our purposes. Uh, but basically, you just have to verify that the name on the certificate is well. First, you have to verify that you trust the certificate authority who issued the certificate. Uh, second, you have to verify then that the name on the certificate is who you're trying to connect with. And there are a few different ways um, to do that. A few different. Um, methodologies and, and it just depends on the certificate but one of the main things that we couldn't do in PHP before 5.6 or that wasn't implemented was what's called subject alternative name matching which is where if you buy a certificate you can put one name on it but that doesn't help you very much if you have lots of subdomains things like that and so the name you could get a wildcard certificate but then if you if you change things the, the alternative name gives you uh, a way to have several names on the same certificate without having to pay for a new certificate every time something changes or you add a new subdomain or things like that. And so before 5.6, you couldn't actually uh, connect to this. The, the prime example is GitHub. GitHub's uh, certificate, uh, the name, the common name on GitHub's certificate is just github.com. And so that's great, except for if you need to connect to a subdomain, PHP wouldn't be able to correctly verify it. So if you wanted to pull something down from GitHub using uh, PHP stream operations, uh, you really had no way of knowing for sure. You could either disable uh, peer verification altogether, or you could just hope that the person on the other end 
uh, was who they said said they were, uh, which is a real problem for something like Composer because you're downloading code and running it immediately on your machine. <laughs> so uh, if nefarious parties got in between you and GitHub, it would be real easy to uh, cause problems and inject any kind of code they wanted to uh, on your computer, and you're just going to execute it immediately. So so that that was one of the major things. I, I haven't backported it yet to 5.4 and 5.5, uh, but I am going to try to find time to do that very soon because those are uh, specifically added for things like Composer very important. Uh, how big Sorry, Ben. Go ahead. How big an effort is that backport? Do you see it happening fairly soon, or is it going to be pretty far along? <laughs> it's it's really more an issue. <coughs> excuse me, uh, an issue of me finding <laughs> you know five or six hours to do it. Um, I could do it in a weekend, so. It's it's more of a maybe people hassle me I'll get around to it but uh, we kick I would also yeah yeah I could I could do a Kickstarter um but that that is gonna happen and I I've meant to do it sooner than now but we're gonna get into five point four and five point five so that people can take advantage of that without having to upgrade uh, the other thing I do want to mention all that stuff is cross operating system uh, Windows uses uh, a different certificate store they don't use uh, a lot of uh, Linux distributions use the OpenSSL um, formats. Windows has its own thing. It's not any worse or better. It's just it's its own proprietary thing, so they use that. And uh, Chris Wright, who's actually also an internals person, you can find Dave Random. You may have seen him on GitHub or, or Stack Overflow, things like that. Uh, he did the Windows side of things because I don't know anything about that. And so that's that's one thing to note. It, whether you're using Windows, uh, Linux distribution, anything, it should just work. Uh, if it doesn't, uh, it's probably our fault. <laughs> and please submit bug reports. But as far as we know, we've, we've covered as many angles as possible so that everything just works for you. Sweet. Um, something you mentioned actually before was about the HTTP server. What was the... You've been building a HTTP server in, um, in PHP, and I've heard it come up a lot because I've heard it's fast as fuck. So uh, what was the reasoning for doing that? Like, why are you? Why the hell are you making one in PHP? Well, uh, you mean, like, besides masochism and OCD? Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people are probably familiar... Uh, with Igor's work on React PHP, and uh, there's a, it's, I, I'm not sure, it, it's it's similar in in the theoretical underpinnings to what Node.js does. You basically have uh, any any socket communication you make non-blocking, and even though PHP doesn't have threading, when things are non-blocking, you can do other things while you're waiting for socket information for data to come down the pipe on the socket if it's non-blocking. And basically, what you're able to do is say when data comes, let me know, and I'll be doing other stuff. So it, it essentially allows you to multiplex, and that's something that we, uh, you know, I know a lot of people would like to build into uh, some of the next majors of PHP because it's extremely useful. Um, but it's it's similar to that, and it's actually uh, it's interoperable with the React thing. So it's it's not it, if you can anything you can use with React to be able to do with that. But I, I started that just because I was into HTTP. I'd done some client work, and uh, I wanted to be able to write my server in PHP because if you've ever spent any time in the PHP community, you've seen people come through begging for help with an Apache rewrite uh, <laughs> rule or how to set up their Nginx uh, configuration or how does this fast CGI thing. And basically, I don't like I don't want to write in C. Like, I can write in C. I'm happy to write in C. I don't want to configure my servers for C. I don't want to use plain text. I just, I'm really good with PHP. I like it. I enjoy it. It works for me. I'm very productive. So I want to be able to do things like that in PHP. And so uh, I set out to do that so I could, you know, 
run a server in PHP, and uh, I, I mean, I can throw benchmark numbers at you, but they're kind of useless without context and things like that. But it's, it's really fast. People would be shocked how fast PHP can be because the socket operations are actually just a very thin layer over the C functionality in the operating system. And so you can, if you eliminate as much overhead as possible, you kind of have to go overboard on avoiding user land abstractions, but you can make it really fast, and the goal is to hopefully uh, hide all the difficulties so that people can just have a server that runs, use, you know, fire up a PHP script and have a server that runs. And there are some issues. I know everybody knows about how difficult it is to work around fatal errors and things like that. PHP doesn't expose a lot of access to be able to recover gracefully from things like that. Uh, so there, there are issues with that, uh, but you can, if you want to spend enough time on it, work around them, uh, as I found. So that's, that's how I got into the encryption stuff in the first place, because I needed real encryption to be able to write servers, because otherwise it would just be kind of useless. And because I'm paranoid, so I want to be able to encrypt <laughs> my own stuff. Yeah, because fuck the NSA. Although, don't put me on a list, please. I like being in this country. I've only, yeah. I've only just exactly. got back. Communism last time. And you know, I'll fuck the NSA, so just I'm waiting for them to, to cut our connection right now. Yep. <laughs> Could happen. I'm interested. How... how uh, applicable do you guys think things like what what level of performance do you think would be necessary for something like that to be broadly useful like if you could say fire up like what what do you see as the drawbacks there of doing something in php and how how performant would it need to be like for for you do you, if if something had all the capabilities of of like regular web servers like do you see that as something that is useful um what what questions would you have about something like that? I, so yes, one thing for me would be, I raise my hand, Phil. <laughs> a real question for me would be how resilient it is versus speed. As long as it was close in speed, um, you know, you can get by that because Apache's still around. But um, right. you know, it has to be as resilient as you know, Nginx or Apache to be used day-to-day. -day. Now, specifically, you know, if we're talking about streams and things like that, if they got anywhere close to you know, Node on Nginx, then it would be a very viable alternative. I really well, like it's the actually, idea. Sorry, go ahead. No, I said I really like the idea of like a React, but so far I'd seen from the benchmarks, it's just not quite up to par with uh, Node. So unless that's changed recently, well, you know, I'd love to Up to par, just to clarify, Ben, up to par with what? Because I, I know it's right up there with speed. In, like you can you can send a you know a shitload of requests at it. But it's just about resilience. You concerned that React starts to fall over because it can't quite handle sustained load, or is or is there another concern? So what I saw last time, and I actually talked to uh, Chris Bowden a little bit about it, was once you get to a high number of requests, the speed starts to drop pretty significantly. Right. Well, that's 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 basically um, what happens. Uh, that was why React is fantastic. It's really great. The abstractions are amazing. It makes what is a somewhat difficult concept to grasp of the non-blocking I.O. at first when you're used to doing straight line synchronous things in the web SAPI. It makes that really easy. It's fantastic. But the abstractions doing those in user land is what starts to slow it down. That's what I set out to try to do, to, to do as much of that as close to the native C functionality that's, that's exposed by PHP as possible. And uh, I've I mean, I've been able to, on an i2600 Intel computer, which is quad-core, 
um, but it acts like eight cores. Uh, so like a pretty standard, like standard server machine that you'd use if you had one box. I've been able to do 50,000 requests a second with 10,000 simultaneous users. Uh, and that's all in a user land, completely user land PHP script. Uh, now, the, that's the difference with an event-driven server because you don't have to hold out a thread or a process per request. One individual machine is generally able to handle more uh, simultaneous users at a time. So, like, if your website blows up on Reddit uh, and you get a 1,000 users at the same exact the microsecond um, in a traditional server, you may have, you, that's how servers crash. They can't handle the simultaneous load. And so what a non-blocking server allows you to do is hold in more clients per machine. And so whether or not that turns out to be more effective for your application depends on the application. If you're doing the kind of thing where you can just cache your responses down the line with something like Varnish in front of it, you don't really need something like that. So if a lot of your con content is cacheable or largely static or you don't have, it's, it's read heavy, then you don't need something like that. But if you're doing like a live application, things like WebSocket chats where you have, uh, you know, if you wanted to have a thousand simultaneous connections, that's not the kind of thing you do in a web SAPI because you don't want to have a thousand threads open, a thousand processes running and occupied at the same time. So that's, that's the benefit of it. But it can, PHP, the user land is capable of doing those things. I'm not sure that people realize that. The other common complaint that you or, or at least question that you hear from people is, well, uh, PHP extensions aren't safe uh, memory-wise, and they'll leak. In which I have not seen to be the case. There may be some stragglers out there um, with random extensions where they rely on the process to shut down to clear the memory. But for the most part, I mean, I haven't experienced any of that yet. But it, that varies from extension to extension. PHP itself. If you can work around this propensity to give you irrecoverable fatal fatal errors, then it's perfectly viable and perfectly fast enough. I was I've been surprised by how fast it was. So that that to me is not an issue at all. I would argue on the benchmarking front, and I get why you want to do it on real hardware that you control. Uh, in order to provide good comparisons, uh, I, I I opine that you might want to do it on an Amazon instance. Uh, so that other people have a have their own can can set up their own do their own setups and compare their setups to the same kind of instance uh, that would obviously be more work for you but it would be in terms of reliable comparisons I think it would make, uh, make whatever case you've got to make would make it stronger uh, the guys out at tech right. I, I my background is I used to do benchmarking of frameworks and so I had a whole protocol set up for <laughs> setting up Amazon stuff so this kind of thing is near and dear to my heart yeah. but it's a lot of effort oh yeah it and really is. The, the, there are some guys out at a place called tech empower t e c h e m p o w e r okay if, if for everyone else go out and look at their benchmarks I, I if you can I would suggest getting your your stuff put into that into part of the comparison series. Uh, yeah, that absolutely. will really show. That will really show off what you're doing, right? I, I mean, I'm not trying to advertise that. I just, I want what I really want to know. I want people to know that PHP is is capable of things like this, and right. I, I think there's this 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 PHP four mentality that people have from several <laughs> years ago that PHP is just not a real language and you can't do real programming with it. And uh, people should know that you can. You definitely can, and if you can do it in a performant way. The other thing I do want to mention with that, I want to make a plea to everyone. Please stop using Apache Bench and publishing benchmarks with Apache Bench. They're not applicable to anyone. I know everybody knows this, 
Do not ever trust benchmarks that you didn't run yourself. They're just not applicable to your situation. They're not applicable to your application. They're not applicable to your hardware. So just please stop pushing out benchmarks unless it's something that someone can download with like a Vagrant instance or something and run themselves and see how it compares because it just doesn't mean anything. Benchmarks yeah. are useless. Preach the useless. word, my brother. <laughs> stop, stop with the benchmarks. So, Daniel, something I wanted to uh, throw in, you've been reminding me of this article I wrote um, a while ago. I don't know if you spotted it. It was called uh, Node.js versus PHP Benchmarking Codswallop, um, just because someone wrote this fucking ridiculous benchmark that was basically um, Node.js versus PHP, and, you know, PHP, oh, my God, look how slow PHP was. And now, yeah, giggling it right now. Yeah, <laughs> um, but, but the, the entire crux of it was um, Node.js is wonderful and magical and fast and PHP is slow and shit and old and the reason for that was that he, he wrote some script that was basically I'm going to call, I'm going to poll 200 different URLs and, and then like output the response or something and then I'm going to time how long it takes to, to do all of that um, and all that was really tested there was that in Node.js they have a HTTP client which is non-blocking and in PHP, he was using FileGate contents essentially, which was obviously blocking. And what made that um, oh yeah, what what made that benchmark so much drastically worse was that I think he was doing it from the moon. Like the internet connection was so slow that you know because you're waiting for each single um, response to come back, the slower your connection, the longer it takes for each response right. to come back. <laughs> so the benchmark was basically these 200 requests were made in something like 30 seconds using Node.js versus like fucking five minutes with PHP, which was insane. Like how does 200 requests in a row take five minutes? But anyway, um, so I, I then redid the benchmark uh, myself and I think I made a vagrant box. I might have just made that up, but um, I uh, the, the benchmark essentially was if instead of, um, if instead of using uh, this file get contents based random piece of code, um, you used Re uh, React's J uh, <laughs> React PHP's async uh, wrapper, and it just kind of bunged it through that wrapper. Um, and by the very end of it, uh, Node.js was doing the same number of requests. It was like 14 seconds for Node.js and like 13 seconds for PHP. It was exactly the same. And the, the, the main principle there, just to, really, just to really quickly finish up, the main principle there is that people don't really understand that the Node.js community are very onto non-blocking code, whereas the PHP community historically hasn't been. Um, so do you... Do you face those sort of problems where the code that you try and use is blocking and you have to use different code, or do you wrap it somehow, or what do you do? You know, I, I, you, you would think that you wouldn't be able to do some of these things, but all of PHP's uh, socket code, you can do everything non-blocking, so it's, it's a non-issue. You can do all of it, and I think there's just uh, a lack of, of realization because PHP is usually used in a synchronous context where you just have one request and one script and everything just operates in order, but all these things can be done just fine in PHP. And I mean, I have uh, an HTTP client that, that um, I can retrieve Google a hundred times in a second. Like it's not PHP is capable of all these things, and like it's it, it's a misnomer to say that PHP can't do it. It's just it's left over from a previous time when PHP maybe couldn't do it or wasn't. Well, I, yeah. It's, just, it's just not true. It's, it's, it's a bit true. of a weird, it's a weird thing for us to talk about as well, because I'm sure there'll be people out um, out there on the internet somewhere, especially if this gets posted to Reddit, 
bitching about how we're trying to use PHP for the wrong thing, but it, it's kind of a weird, it, that, that's a weird point of view. It's not that we're, we're desperately trying to use PHP for everything because it's the only language we know. It's more that, it, it's, more that it's, a, it's, it's a defense against people wrongly saying that it can't do something. People are saying, there's no way PHP can do this, and it can. And that doesn't mean that we're desperately clawing onto it. It means, no, you said a wrong thing, and we're explaining that you're wrong. Um, I, fa I face yeah. that quite a lot. You know, when I say, when I, when I defend PHP, I'm just an idiot that only knows PHP and they ignore the fact that I've been using Python and Ruby for years. But, um, so one of the main things, I mean, I think is what you, you mentioned using streams and you can do asynchronous stuff. You have to work directly with the streams interface and that can be quite difficult, especially if you compare it to just grabbing yeah. it out of file gate content. So, um, a question to Paul actually would be, um, with projects like Aura, which we haven't started talking about yet. Um, do you think there's much room where you could add more non-blocking magical goodness into your components? And is that something you've thought about? So the thing about Aura is that it is primarily a collection of libraries and not a framework in and of itself. Prim again, primarily. You can build a framework out of the libraries, but it's not primarily a framework. Uh, there, are, there are things that you can do to build it into a framework if you wanted to. Um, I can't imagine right now anything that any of the individual libraries would be doing that uh, would benefit from, I don't know if they're that blocking to begin with. I mean, when you make a, generally you're using like aura.sql to make a connection to a, to a database and then go get some data. Uh, that is the sort of thing that would not, that would happen. So at just to interject, yeah, to yeah, interject there a sec, because I feel like my question might have been badly formed. Um, if, you, if you use something like uh, Tornado in Python, which I've done um, quite a bit, Right. They, Tornado is insanely fast, very much the same way that, um, Daniel, your HTTP server is. I'm sure you've probably looked at it for some comparisons. Um, with, with Tornado, it's basically right. kind of a, it's a web framework similar to Flask or, or Slim or, or Silex or whatever. Um, and it, it just runs by itself, and it, it, um, it, can, it can asynchronously kind of queue up all the HTTP requests coming in, and then um, it will process them as soon as it possibly can. Um, and because people that use Tornado, you have to then start using different database packages. So you'd normally have, I can't remember what they're called right now, um, but there are, there are Python packages that a lot of people use that are very similar to PDO or whatever. Um, if you use those by themselves, then you shoot yourself in the foot because those happen in a blocking way. So you have all these HTTP requests that are kind of getting stacked up, but then the actual process of the, the content of the request is blocking and that kind of fucks the whole thing. So there are, there are a lot of right. kind of wrappers for these uh, database libraries that allow for, you can make multiple insert requests or, or make multiple requests in general, and it does those in a non-blocking fashion. So the whole thing's just magically non-blocking bro, and it makes it better. Mm -hmm. So I'm probably talking a little bit outside my field of knowledge, but I know that lots and lots of non-blocking things make shit fast. So is that like with like things, <laughs> things, things just like the, the Aura SQL package, is there more non-blocking goodness that can be put into there is kind of what I'm asking. So uh, the, one of the, the fundamental principles behind Aura is to make each individual library as focused as possible. In fact, the version 1 SQL stuff has actually been broken up in version 2 so that uh, you don't even have a query system in version 2. Uh, the, the reason I bring this up is that if there's going to be non-blocking stuff associated with any particular library, uh, that would be on a library-by-library li library basis. And then it is my guess that there would be a secondary library or a secondary bundle, if you will, that would wrap around the original one that would allow you to queue stuff up and then feed into that, you know, that underlying library. Uh, so, yeah, I'm sure there's a place for it. 
uh, if people want to uh, start, you know, if people find a need for it, want to start contributing to that stuff in a way that uh, probably does, the, my guess is that probably does not affect the underlying libraries. There's just wrap around it. I'd be totally open to people doing that kind of thing. Um, but again, I don't think it, it probably does not fit into the libraries as they are now. Uh, it, it sounds like that's the sort of thing that would deserve a, a sort of a, a super library or a meta library around the particular one that you wanted to use in a non-blocking scenario. Uh, I feel like I rambled a little bit. Does that make sense? No, no, that's about right. That's cool. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, I, I do want to add um, React has a lot. There, there's, some, there's a really good Redis client uh, I know of that I've used uh, for React. That, that's sort of the... The rub, if you're going to use a non-blocking server, you can't, I mean, you have to use non-blocking libraries to interface with things like databases. That's something else, actually, I forgot about, but um, we added for 5.6 was all of the PostgreSQL, which I have no idea how to pronounce that. Uh, <laughs> all of the Postgres, but whatever, whatever. Yeah. We, we um, had somebody All from of Postgres. those operations. Yes. Sorry, I was going to say we had somebody from Postgres on the show a while ago, and they they uh, confirmed that it's Postgres. That's okay. Well, Postgres <laughs> is fantastic because uh, all of their stuff supports non-blocking things. And so that's something new in 5.62 is all the uh, PGSQL uh, extension functions can now be done uh, in a non-blocking fashion. Now it's not it's not perfect because PHP doesn't have uh, an event loop built in, but it does have everything that you need to be able to put a wrapper around to make it really easy to use and do non-blocking uh, Postgres things. MySQL is a little tougher because uh, both the, the, the old libMySQL C libraries that it was originally based on and then the newer MySQL ND um, doesn't offer any way to connect without blocking, and so you at least have to block to connect, and so that's a little tougher. So, so something uh, MySQL, you'd have to you probably can't use that without, uh, without. I mean, you could if you had a, a separate extension, or uh, I believe there are some user land libraries out there that actually do the MySQL protocol for you, but that's that's the rub. You do have to have non-blocking things to use it, but uh, more of those are coming, and I know uh, Julian Pauly is expressing interest in adding more support for those, and I know I do too, because that's kind of how I want to write applications going forward. So there are people working on non-blocking things as well, so I think more support for that is coming down the pipe. But you so do we, have to have this. Yeah, it's something I, I really want to see because I feel like a, a lot of kind of packages put it in as a bit of an afterthought. Um, there, are, whenever you, I heard Rasmus talking about, um, you know, PHP has loads of non-blocking things, and sure, there's the built-in streams interface, which is quite hard to use. There's um, Postgres, you can do multi multi selects or multi inserts, and curl exec. There's curl mm -hmm. multi exec. There's a few of these things that are kind of a bit a bit gross and hard to work with. And they they were all made before we really had the idea of callbacks as well. So in Node.js, obviously, whenever you have mm -hmm. these really nice uh, things where you kind of say, Go, do this, and then here's a callback for when you're finished. All of the APIs that were built for this curl multi-exec and shit like that were built before we had callbacks. So you lose a lot of the mm -hmm. real benefits of, of that yeah. sort of thing. So I feel like user land code is going to be where we kind of make up that gap for now, and then maybe some fun shit goes into the core and in version 9, whatever we call it. Um, not to get onto that just yet. In version 15, by the way. <laughs> no, we're saving six or seven till the end, we've promised. Um, so I guess that brings us on to the next topic, um, guys. And, and I don't know who wants to take this, um, but does anyone have any interesting things to say about PSR 7? I guess, Paul, have you been involved? 
because I know you're a fig guy and so am I. Are you in, involved with uh, PSR 7 at all? PSR 7 is the HTTP message PSR? Yeah, not the hugs. That's a... Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I will confess that I have not been paying as close attention as I should have. I know that Dowling uh, put together a blog post about why there should be a pardon me if I butcher this, a stream interface for the body rather than just a string or something like that. Uh, the the only thing that I have to say on that front is uh, it, it might be interesting if it was a string or a callable uh, that went into that that uh, signature rather than a stream interface per se so that users would not be locked into uh, adhering to a particular interface and that implementations could just echo a string or call a callable. Uh, that, that seems to me it would be a relatively straightforward way to solve all the various problems that are associated with it. The trade-off, of course, is that you've got a little bit of if-then logic implementations, but it strikes me as a, a, a relatively small kind of trade-off to make. Uh, aside from that, I'm glad to see it progressing. Uh, on my to-do list for the beginning of the year this year was to start pushing that particular, uh, that particular PSR, and I'm very, very happy that someone else has taken the load on that one. Yeah, that works out pretty well. Um, Part of that one to me. Carry on. I have nothing useful to say on this. I, I think that that seems like a gap to me in the uh, the inter. Like I feel like PHP should probably expose a little bit more for people who want to do who want to model their their HTTP communications as an object. Because right now you just you just you get the super globals and that's what you get and that's your only choice. And I think that we could implement an object representation of that without breaking backwards compatibility. People could still have the super globals if they wanted them, and you would just have access. So that's something I would like to see. And I know it comes up on the list from time to time, but I, I feel like the PSR is, is probably necessary. I didn't I didn't used to, but I think it is just because we do have that lack. There's That's something that I think is missing personally in PHP, because we, we have uh, procedural and object-oriented ways to do pretty much everything, for the most part, we have both for people who want to do it either way, but we don't have both in that in, in modeling the HTTP request that comes in. And so I think that that it's necessary that PSR, because of that's missing, and, and maybe that that can be used as um, as a, a lead-in to get something like that into core. Something that is useful for that um, in PHP six as well is the PHP input stream that you use to access the raw entity body of the request that comes in. Uh, I don't know, anybody who's dealt with it's probably had to deal with the hassle. It's not SQL or windable. You couldn't, like, if you read the, the body of the message one time, you couldn't, like, you got one shot at it, and then you couldn't be uh, modified after that or, or, or read back or anything. But in, as of 5.6, the input stream that uh, that has the entity body in it is SQLable, so you can go forwards, backwards, whatever you need to with it. So that's helpful as well. So while and I'm will a be fan of useful inside the PSR. Sorry, I didn't interrupt you. The, no, you're good. I'm done. I'm, I'm with you on uh, modeling the incoming request. That is that the super globals as objects. I again, after having read, after having written the modernizing book, uh, the super globals are are just as bad as any other global that's yeah. in the system. Um, having said that, the P, that particular PSR is not necessarily about modeling the incoming or not, it's not model, It's not about modeling the execution environment of PHP per se. Uh, it's about building requests, and as far as I can tell, building request-style messages or HTTP-style messages to send out and then receive back so that you can decipher them. It's not about okay. modeling the PHP environment. Uh, I agree that modeling the PHP environment could be a lot better, 
uh, but that's not what that PSR is specifically about. Um, yeah, so I think I disagree with you there, Paul, that the um, uh, the HTTP message isn't particularly about kind of building one and then returning it or anything else. I think it's just about describing a message, and that message could be anywhere. The message could be totally the incoming, cool. could be could be the incoming request. It could be a request you're about to make. It could be a response. It's, it's literally at any point. So if PSR seven, if PSR seven was somehow or something like it was to ever end up kind of baked into the core, um, then it would be kind of some weird sappy level thing where they they kind of the sappies interact and they kind of pump the the message classes full of data based on however the hell they gather that information from the servers and then you just have that then available in PHP somewhere um, which I think will be quite cool um, do you, Daniel do you think that anything like PSL7 could ever be put into the core because I know in Python they keep coming up with peps and they come up with this good idea of this is how you do logging and then everyone logs like that and then they just turn that into a language feature in the next version and then you have a logger built in um, it, we, we don't do any of that in, in PHP, and the last time PSR0 was recommended for the core, everyone went, fuck no, um, which is probably good because we've since replaced it with PSR4, but um, do you ever think that any sort of anything that the fig does would ever become like ratified in the language? And your mute is on as well. We're all, we're all doing it. <laughs> Here we go. Um, I, I certainly can't speak for other people. I just am you know, one vote out of a bunch, but... Uh, I mean, good good code is good code, and good APIs are good APIs. The problem is, is people agreeing on what constitutes this or that, and so I, I can't really say. Uh, all we can do is try to come up with APIs that we think are worth implementing, and then try to put them in place. Uh, I, I mean, internals can be it can be hard to get a consensus on things, and you know, I think. That brings up another point is who who are the stewards of the language? Like who has a say and who should have a say? I think I think the RFC process that we have is is better than a free-for-all, uh, but I do think it, there could be some improvement. It seems like every time there is an RFC, uh, there's, there's some catastrophe just about, and I think we could find a better way to implement things like that, maybe implement the, bring the community into it more. Um, and I know people people talk about that. I think we could improve the process. I posted a while ago about actually improving. Um, sorry, I'm gonna you, you next, Ben. <laughs> um, we, I posted a while ago about um, how there could be a better workflow for for internals. Um, much like the Fig used to be a fucking free for all bit of a shit show, and you you could be on day one of a of a you know creating a standard, or you could be on day seven hundred of creating a standard. And you could still be just as close to finishing it as as ever, which was a really weird process. So now we have, you know, pre-draft, and then we we vote to accept it, and then it's uh, um, no, we we vote to we vote that we actually care about the standard, and then it's in draft, and people work on it, and then we review it, and then we accept it. Right, that that standard for us so far seems to be working fairly well. Um, but the trouble with with a lot of RFCs seem to be um, somebody says, "Hey, I've got this really good idea," and they say, "Fuck off," unless you write some code. So you you, you have to have the code first. Um, but you don't know if they're going to accept it until you've written the code. So that seems like a bit of a weird waste of time. But then even if you do have the code and you do have the idea, you say, hey, I've got this RFC and I've got this code. What do you think? And then like 10 people say yes and a few other people say no. And people kind of squabble about it and it kind of goes around in circles. And then people either get bored or they just kind of throw it to a vote and it says no. Like there doesn't seem to be any sort of trackable logical progress. So it, it would be very interesting if there was more of a fig type system where someone could just say, hey, I think it'd be really cool if we could 
work on getting some sort of you know PSR seven based thing into the core? Do we have any particular support for that? And then you can kind of vote to have it accepted. Once once it's once it's been confirmed that that is something that's going to be worked upon, people can either help or piss off. Yeah. I, th- I would like to see this see the system modified. I mean, it's worked and it's better than nothing, but I, I think there's a lack of, of popular community representation. And at the same time, I mean, there are different needs for different groups of people. It's very important to maintain things like backwards compatibility. Like, if you've ever looked at your router, uh, your Wi-Fi router, if you've ever dealt with the interface, it's probably running PHP. Things like that have to... Backwards compatibility is really important. And so the needs of someone like me who's like, oh my gosh, I want to have variatics right now. We, I mean, things like that. There's, there's this interesting interplay between keeping things compatible and fixing WTFs and introducing new features. And, and I think no, I think everybody wants to avoid a Python 3 situation where you change too much, nobody wants to upgrade, or you leave the same and people keep laughing at the language and say, oh, well, this, this parameter order should be the other direction, so that means PHP is stupid. You know, things like that. Like, obviously, you want to fix, but you got to measure them. And, and I think that's where a lot of people um, get confused. But I don't think we have the right process yet, for sure. And, and I would like to see something more formalized. Because it is hard. Even things as simple as, like, if you want to have a voice, you have to go through this weird mailing list registration process that may or may not work. And then you do it, and then if you do that, you, you get yelled at on the list, then you try to start an RFC, but then you have to get a patch, and you probably need to get someone else to do it, because if you just do it yourself, people are going to look at you sideways. So it's just, it, there are a lot of obstacles that I think we could, we could make the process easier and more beneficial for everyone, and I would like to see that, and, and I'd be interested um, to know firsthand like what other people's experiences are, what I know people kind of look at internals and think, so it's just a bunch of dumb people, but um, they, they argue about everything. And and I've tried to stay away from the PHP <laughs> diversioning. I'm trying hard to stay away from that. But that's not the case. It's just you have to understand people have these, they're coming from these different places. And it's not just a bunch of people who like to fight with each other and argue, although sometimes I think some people do. Uh, I'd be interested, though, to know like what other people who, external to the process, are just looking at it, what what uh, like Paul and Ben? What do you guys see that as like? What do you see as, as viable options for changing that? Like, how do you think that could be improved? That process. Problem with any process change is that it's the the proposal for the process change is going to have to go through the existing process. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there's, there's your first problem right there. Uh, and Phil, God love him, managed to get that process change through in the framework interop group. Um, I think that the level of amity in the framework interop group is much higher than it is on PHP internals. Uh, so I think that uh, any any sort of change that that would get affected that is similar to what Phil did in Fig would it is my guess that it would meet with much higher resistance from internals, if only because most of the people who are invested in the process. Are the one or the ones who think the process as it is is just fine. Um, so the the primary concerns that I see there are political concerns, not technical concerns. Uh, of course, I, my bias is heading that direction anyway. So I'm it may be that I'm just uh, reiterating all of my priors there. Um, 
I, it is like I said, I think I said this early on. I'm very happy that I'm not involved on the internals list specifically for the reasons uh, that you've talked about the vitriol that gets spewed back and forth and the endless discussions. Um, it would be nice to have some sort of more, more, it would be nice to have more direction to that process so that at least the vitriol could be uh, encapsulated in uh, digestible chunks rather than a continuous spewing. Uh, but I, I, I don't, I don't know how to go about doing that. Uh, it would take someone with the, um, the fortitude and the organizational drive that someone like Phil has, but also the, uh, uh, the social karma to go along with it. Someone who is well respected on that list by a wide range of a number of people to be able to get the backing to make that kind of process change. I don't know who that would be. So that's a long way of saying I don't know. It would basically <laughs> take Rasmus, I think. Yeah. It's provided Rasmus is actually, get- and again, I don't mean to speak for Rasmus. I don't know if he's interested in that or not. No. Uh, I wouldn't uh, know. It's totally not. I mean, the trouble that I've seen a lot recently is that um, Zeev is kind of taking over as, uh, as as being the the main guy. Pretty much any conversation you see that's been a bit crazy, he's going to have been very active in it. Um, and and I, I think, yeah, that I, whenever, I don't know, let's just broach the topic of six versus seven now because we are wrapping up. We are getting towards the end and we haven't had a huge number of questions in. He's been a massive proponent of seven and he, he wrote the RFC saying these are all the arguments why we should use seven. Now, if anyone's seen the RFC, or if you know about this, uh, do we want to call the next major version to follow version 5, do we want to call it PHP 6 or PHP 7? Now, that seems like a fairly fucking obvious question. Uh, but <laughs> the reasoning is that PHP 6 was a thing. It was never actually released to the public, but there's a lot of emotional ties to it, I suppose, because a lot of people did work very hard on it. Um, Sarah, who we've had on the show before, um, mentioned, you know, she she feels like six existed to her because she worked really hard on it. I completely respect that, but it didn't exist to the public really, apart from a few random books here and there. So the RFC has been: um, should we have? Should we call it six, or should we just skip it and go to seven? Now, the arguments put forward by Zeev, the CTO of Zend, range from the the useless to shitty to lunatic. Um, some of the arguments on there are um, uh, P- uh, PHP 6, uh, no, Perl 6 and MySQL 6 didn't work out very well. Um, it also covers um, 6 is, uh, 7 is good luck in many Western countries. Um, and there's, there's so many stupid arguments on there, if you've seen that. I'll put a link in the show notes. <laughs> I just, how, Daniel, how do you feel about it? Just I, I don't want to do the whole thing. Well, I mean, I, I'm on the record as being... I mean, I've softened. Like, I don't think it's a big deal, but I don't see any reason. I wasn't around for the PHP for PHP six, which kind of became five point three. And so, to me, five, six it was a thing, but it wasn't a release. And so, to me, it doesn't make any sense. That said, I think PHP seven has some awesome marketing potential. Like, I think it it could be a really positive thing if we bring out you know cool new features, do stuff that people like. I, I think from a marketing perspective, it could be great. But I don't see any logical reason to. Six to go to seven myself, so I mean I voted against it, but I'm not broken up. I, I was more, I was a little more turned off by some of the behavior which tends to happen during the voting process. Like, and the RFC to me seemed like it was, hey, we want to do the next one to be seven, so let's just make an RFC so we can do it. And there wasn't really a substance on either side of the argument. The RFC was just kind of 
fluff, like just what we have to have an RFC, so let's just put some stuff together and have an RFC, and then we'll vote to make it seven. Yeah. So I, it just seemed like a like a bit of a sham to me, just doing it to be able to do it because one group wanted it. But I, I don't care at this point. I'm a little exasperated about it. <laughs> I understand the uh, kind of argument that Davey Shafiq and uh, Sarah Goldman made was the six was a real part of the PHP history, and so let's keep it there. It's kind of like this, uh, whatever monument to PHP six. Personally, I don't think that's enough reason. It is weird descriptive version, but I do understand kind of where they're coming from because they, you know, Sarah especially, you know, bled for that release, and it's not necessarily their fault that it didn't happen in the end. So I get that, but you know, as someone who didn't wasn't involved at all, it seems weird for me to skip six. So personally, I think six is. I, I would. I would say that the emotional argument, or sorry, that's kind of a patronizing way to, to call it. The the argument that because some people put a lot of work into making it to be a thing and it really existed to them, I would say that that's much more valid than any argument that was put into the RFC. And if that was put into the RFC, then I might have considered it more. Um, again, uh, just like Daniel, I don't care. I, I tweeted a little while ago saying, dear internals, I don't give a flying fuck which you pick. Just pick one and hurry up. Um, I really don't care. I just don't like um, I don't like ridiculous arguments being used. If if there's going to be some argument between A and B, um, and uh, and and you know, they, and silly arguments are used, then I'm going to complain that silly arguments are being used without personally really caring whether A or B is better, right? Um, so that was kind of the problem for me. And the, the only argument that PHP six really has is that six comes after five. That's also the only argument it actually needs because six does come after five. Um, so then, if you're gonna if you're gonna skip that and you're gonna ignore fucking blatant logic um, and you're gonna go to well, it should be seven, then you have to come up with a really good idea why it should. Um, so it was basically if you can't prove why we shouldn't do this dumb thing, then we're just gonna go ahead and do the dumb thing. Right? That's not how fucking grown ups are meant to act. It's like stop punching yourself in the face. Stop punching yourself in the face. I don't. It doesn't make any sense. So you've got to be real careful about your biases here, uh, and this applies to everybody. Uh, this is, this goes back to something that I've been saying for a long time. It's not original to me, and that is smart by itself is overrated. Uh, you can talk about you know we need a logical argument. We can talk about we need to be rational. But the truth is that people are not primarily rational creatures. They're rationalizing creatures. Uh, and this applies to everyone on this in this debate. Uh, I, will, I, will, I will say right now that my preference, small p, is that we go with PHP 7. Because those of us with long memories remember PHP 6 as an actual thing that, was, that did exist in some capacity. Um, now, and again, just to point out, the, the fact that people are forwarding arguments such as seven is lucky, these are smart people. These are the people who wrote the freaking language. Uh, this this is not a this is not to to keep disdain on them for using those kinds of arguments. This is to point out that when you have something that you want, uh, your rationalizing uh, behaviors go into effect, and you find every possible reason why it makes sense. Uh, and the people who are against it find every possible reason why it doesn't make sense, and everyone invokes, well, it's just logical. Um, mm. so, so again, I, it, it, to completely sideline this, ask Andres Mevsky what the next version ought to be. Uh, he is the guy who, as far as I know, 
was heading the uh, uh, was really heading the thrust of PHP six with the Unicode stuff. And I know that there were tons of other people involved, but he is the one I saw speaking about it. Uh, if he thinks it ought to be six, you know what, go with six. If he is uh, still tied to the idea of six as his baby, you know what, that is totally cool with me, man. We'll go with seven. The number doesn't matter. Now, again, having said all of that, when writing the history of PHP, which is going to happen in 20 years, these those people are going to have to look at this and say, which six are we talking about? Are we talking about the six that existed before 2014, or are we existing about the six? Or are we talking about the six that existed after 2014? Um, yeah, but so this, you, this comes down very much to um, wh what, what's your definition of existing, right? So if right. it's if it's released, the six that was, okay. was in common, the, the the common term that was in use at the time. Yeah, uh, because uh, when people were talking about PHP six and conversations before 2014, people talking about it in those conversations meant one thing. But after 2014, at some arbitrary date, they meant something else. You know, <laughs> it might be nice to have a real delineation there. Um, yeah, having said all that, I don't care. You know, it's it's really funny, yeah, because we keep we keep having these discussions, and we all admit that we don't care. Um, I think I think we just all have a, a we all care about the conversation being had properly and quickly as opposed to dragging on forever like it has been. Um, it is, that, that, the reason I'm getting frustrated is that vote got cancelled twice and people were like removing other people's arguments from the RFC and being fucking children. Um, and that's why Bill, I are you quite telling about you're it. upset about a vote being cancelled twice? <laughs> is that what you're saying to me, man? Hey, PSR falls better than it was. There's a little pot calling the kettle black here, dude. <laughs> Am I the pot or the kettle? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It depends on which side of the argument you're on. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just a pain. I don't I don't like the way that they were childish about things, and I don't like how... The, the, the best argument I heard for why um, six should be skipped was uh, stupid web hosts. This is an argument I haven't actually heard before, and it's one of the reasons I continue to post shit on Reddit, apart from when I ban myself for months at a time. Um, because somebody explained that hosts like uh, one and one, I think, or um, uh, somebody else... Um, they actually started, they had PHP 6 installed on their servers, and you can just select 5.2, 5.3.6. So now if we released 6, people would click that and think it was 6, and they wouldn't be getting actual 6. So again, there are, I feel like I've found some valid arguments since I blogged about how stupid the whole argument was. I, I've, I've heard some arguments that are great, that maybe should have been put on the RFC instead, instead of, well, in Western culture, they're... Um, Rationalizing. Cause, yeah, because to be honest, I've been told that the number eight is really unlucky in China. So do we just skip oh, eight? Super lucky in China. I, there's a piss off a billion people. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a there's a Wall Street Journal or, or, or there there is a, a journalist Jennifer Lee who has a middle initial of eight because it's so lucky. <laughs> who knows? Um, so we didn't we didn't decide which which was correct, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, <laughs> But um, we actually, yeah, it's ongoing. Uh, well, luckily the vote's going to end in a week or two, as long as no prick cancels it, because only assholes cancel votes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, that, that seems that's probably an in joke for everyone apart from me and Paul, and maybe a few other fig members. But uh, yeah, I think PSR four was thirty minutes from being accepted, and I got off a plane and had a cider and went, "Fuck it, cancel it." But that was a bit I more was, thinking to it than that. I was Johannesburg, <laughs> where I could not respond to anything and talk you down from the ledge, man. <laughs> Oh dear. So we've had a strange lack of questions today, which is unfortunate. Um, I know for a fact there are 16 of you viewing it. There were 18 earlier, so fuck the two that left. 
Um, but uh, next time, please watch on on YouTube or Google Plus. You can follow us on on Twitter. Um, we have a IRC channel. We're just desperate for attention. We're just we're just hoping someone loves us and, and wants to reply to us. We even have uh, shirts now. Yeah. Oh no, my mine came through. I've got this other one though from Teespring. I just had a a, a post box full of um, t-shirts that were left. This is PHP or di- uh, PHP and it'll die. I just had a, a mailbox rammed full of random Teespring t-shirts when I got back to America. So um, I'm going to spring this on you too. Uh, do you have what we often do at the end of the show is we pimp a product or service or mention something we've been using over the last week or so that we're really excited about. Um, do you have any, any link you want to advertise, basically? Um, so, Ben, do you have one to go first? I've been using a browser stack, Automate, lately. So oh, I've used browser stack for a while, and it gives you like every browser you could possibly think of in a virtual environment, so you can click through and try you know, IE8 on Windows or iOS 6 on iPhone 4, like anything you can think of. But the, a fairly, fairly new thing from them is the Automate platform, so you can integrate it with PHP uh, Unit or Codeception or whatever you happen to be using. And so I had some of our tests for the day job running through Codeception and then actually run through uh, Automate to test on various browsers and stuff like that. So it's pretty helpful. Cool. Um, sorry, I was just reading a funny IRC comment. Uh, PHP 7 will make it harder to upgrade because 7 is a prime number and legacy code isn't designed to handle those. Um. <laughs> anyway, so that sounds cool. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, Paul, do you have uh, a product you'd like to pimp? It may or may not be one of your own. Um, Fair enough. Uh, my mercenary heart requires that I pimp <laughs> MLAPHP.com. Uh, that's modernizing legacy applications in PHP. If you've got a spaghetti mess of code, page-oriented, include-oriented, ba- in- include, include page-based code, uh, you're tearing your eyes out because nothing is separated. It's a horrible mess. It's full of globals. Uh, go buy the book, MLAPHP.com. It will give you step-by-step instructions on how to uh, get everything separated out so that you end up going from a spaghetti mess to something that is auto-loaded, uh, dependency-injected, unit-tested, layer-separated, and front-controlled. Uh, I'm not going to tell you that it's going to be easy. I'm not going to tell you it's going to happen fast. I am going to tell you that you'll be able to do each individual step at your own pace and leave the application running the whole time so that uh, you're not losing any revenue from your application being down. Uh, of course, the other thing I'd like to pimp is Aura. Uh, that's A-U-R-A-P-H-P.com. Uh, if what you want are fully decoupled, completely independent libraries, where if you set it up in Composer to get that particular dependency, that's the only library you get without a ton of other dependencies coming in, then, then Aura is the thing for you. That's all I've got. Ah, thank you very much. Um, Daniel, do you have a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I honestly don't give a fuck if you use any of my code, um, <laughs> but if you want to, you find it on GitHub. I put it there so that I can pull in with Composer and submodules and stuff easier. Um, but I have been using, one of the things I do is uh, analyze insider trading data from the Securities and Exchange Commission, and all of that is in terrible XML, and I've been using a lib called Fluent DOM, by Thomas Weinert. You can find it on GitHub pretty easily, Fluent Dom, and it has just made my life so much easier because I hate XML with as much passion as I could possibly muster, and Fluent Dom has mitigated that significantly. So try out Fluent Dom, it's cool. Sounds good. 
Um, mine, I suppose, is actually a little bit of a mini pimp. Um, is that <laughs> I'm trying to get the PHP league off the ground a little bit more than it is so far. We've just started up a uh, just started up a. I'm just trying to find the link now, like that actually matters at the moment. But we have a Google Groups, um, so go find the PHP League on the Google Groups. I'm trying to get some some fun activity happening in there where we discuss what libraries we're working on, try and get help and advice for each other, and share our tips whilst we're working on our various different fun libraries. So uh, yeah, see if you can find the PHP League on Google Groups. Um, apart from that, uh, I think that's that's about the end of it. Um, ben has a thing. Go. Ben, what's your thing? I was happy with it. Oh, you were just waving goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was an important important end note. No, they are. Excellent. In that case, guys, thank you very much for sticking around on a Thursday night. Um, And it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everyone.